Welcome to the New Books Network. This is the Nordic Asia Podcast. Welcome to the Nordic Asia Podcast, a collaboration sharing expertise on Asia across the Nordic region. My name is Petra Desitova, and I am a postdoctoral researcher at the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies at the University of Copenhagen. In this episode, I'm talking to Myung-Hee Lee, who is my new colleague and a Korea Foundation and Nordic Institute of Asian Studies postdoctoral research fellow at the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies at the University of Copenhagen. Welcome to this episode, Myung-Hee. Hi, thank you for having me. So Myung-Hee holds a PhD in political science from the University of Missouri in the United States, and her research focuses on protest, social movement, authoritarianism, and democratization. In this episode, we're going to talk about all of these topics in one way or another, because over the past three years, Asia has been swept by a lot of popular protests. Now, a lot of these protests, whether we look at Thailand or Hong Kong or even recently Myanmar, they have been pro-democratic, more or less, and they've often been led by younger generations. So in many cases, it's been university students, like we could see in Hong Kong or Thailand, or even high school students, which was the case of Thailand, or it was a fair mixture of both young and sort of older generations. But among all this, we know that this is not necessarily the norm. And there have been instances in Asia as well, where there have been protests that defy this traditional way of seeing what protests are about. And Myunghi is going to be talking about one of these today, and that's the Tagaka rallies in South Korea that started in 2016 and lasted for more than three years. So my first question is going to be, how did you actually become interested in these rallies? And then if you can also tell us a little bit more about what these rallies are about. I started to pay attention to this movement in 2016 when the movement started. So I thought it's a very interesting research topic. The movement was started in 2016 as a counter movement to the candlelight movement, which gained a lot of domestic and international recognition. Candlelight movement was actually the movement to impeach the president Park Geun-hye in 2016 after the revelation of her corruption scandal. And then eventually the forces were successful in impeaching Park Geun-hye. And in late 2016, a lot of angry senior citizens who were actually proponents of Park Geun-hye, some of those started this movement to protect Park Geun-hye. And after the impeachment, they tried to restore Park Geun-hye's presidency. But at first, it was a very small movement, only attracting a small number of senior citizens. Then in 2019, it became really large rallies. So in one day, some of those rallies attracted more than 460,000 participants. So it has become very, very big. There are many factors I think this movement is interesting, but I will summarize them in three aspects. So first of all, this movement is very interesting in the sense that it's a first organized and long-lasting conservative movement in South Korea. There were some conservative movements in South Korea, but they were very spontaneous, random, and small in scale. But this movement, like as I said, it became very big in 2019. And then second aspect is that most of the participants are senior citizens who are older than the 60 years, like more than like 60% or 70% of the participants are these senior citizens. And as a mobilization perspective, mobilizing these senior citizens is very, very 
hard. Sometimes they are very risk averse, so they don't want to take risks. And participating in protest movements and street rallies is risky. So in that sense, it's very interesting. And finally, it's interesting because these senior citizens use very nostalgic languages and images to mobilize their core participants and to describe their identity in the rally sites. So in those senses, I think this movement is very interesting to me. Definitely. It sounds fascinating. And I can see some parallels with the case of Thailand, especially the mobilization of the more conservative forces. But I wonder, I mean, you mentioned that this was the first example of conservative mobilization in South Korea following the fall of the authoritarian rule, which was, if I remember correctly, in 1987. So I kind of wonder what happened, why it took so long, why in 2016? Yeah, so the timing is really interesting to me. Why 2016? And as I said, there had been some spontaneous and small-scale rallies for a movement. These South Korean conservatives are actually the supporters of the authoritarian successor party in South Korea. Mm -hmm. So this authoritarian successor party, which renamed themselves all, all the time. So this successor party has its root in, in the authoritarian past, meaning that they were created and developed in the authoritarian period. So for me, these conservative forces are the authoritarian party, successor party supporters. And when their party lost the office, we saw some spontaneous movement going on on the streets. But they are very spontaneous, very small, not very organized. However, in 2016, it started as a really small movement, but it became bigger. And I think the timing is very interesting. So I actually interviewed these participants and I found that this is something related to their identity. So it's actually an identity-based nostalgic deprivation, which motivated these participants. They believe that when Park was impeached, Park was actually a symbolic figure of the authoritarian past. She's actually a daughter of the former autocrat Park Jong-hee in South Korea, who ruled South Korea in the 60s and 70s. But you may think that these participants are just supporters of Park Geun-hye, but actually their motivation is much deeper than that. They try to protect Park Geun-hye not because they are endorsing Park Geun-hye the most, my interview revealed that their evaluation about the Park government is very mixed. Some of them are really supporting Park but others do not really support Park So it's not just about her, right? Yes, it's not just about her. The reason I think it's the identity-based movement is because Park is a symbolic figure of the authoritarian past. And I argue that these participants are having some sort of collective identity that was shaped in the 60s and 70s under the Park Jong-hee's rule. And the Park impeachment is actually a evidence that the society is changing and the society is not representing their identity anymore because Park is such a symbolic figure to them who represents the past. So this nostalgic deprivation really motivated these forces to participate in the protest movements. So let me stay on this theme for a little bit longer, because it's very interesting in terms of what you're saying, that it is not actually about one political figure in this case, the disgraced South Korean president, but it is about this kind of larger notion of what South Korea should be about. Where did these ideas about South Korea were formed? When you think about this particular group of citizens, where do they come from? 
I believe that the collective identity they are sharing is actually shaped during the Park Jong-in era in the 60s and 70s. The reason why I'm thinking that is because those times are the times they were attending their primary and secondary schools. So they are getting heavy school education. And also they are active participants of the economic activities as young individuals. So they were really active during this period and they were educated under the authoritarian system. So the education played an important role in socializing these senior citizens during the time. So that is a reason why I think the impact of Park Jong-hee is much bigger to these senior citizens. At the same time, Park Jong-hee is a very important figure in South Korea's history because he is known as the main leader who developed and modernized South Korea. And these senior citizens witnessed the economic development process in South Korea. My interview described that they argued that we are really poor. When I was a little kid, I was really poor. I didn't find anything to eat. And then I realized that because of Park Jong-hee, I can see that our country is becoming richer. So I, can, I don't have to be worrying about what should I eat tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So he's a very important figure to these participants. But at the same time, they are not just a mere witness of this development. They are actually very active participants of these economic development. So they engaged in their economic activities as farmers, as workers, as soldiers, etc. So they worked really hard with Park Jong-hee to develop South Korea. So they have this really big belief about their achievement. That is the reason why I think their identity is shaped during the Park Jong-hee period. And Park Geun-hye's impeachment was for them really threatening because it's not just an impeachment of a political figure, it's actually a rejection of their whole life achievement. So this anger motivated them to participate in the movement. That's super, super interesting and and trying to understand where all these identity tensions and issues are coming from is is very fascinating. You also mentioned earlier that these senior citizens were actually supporters of South Korea's conservative party that's been a party that was there in South Korean politics before the end of the authoritarian rule and then retained its position within the politics, changed names a few times, but it's still there as a force. What was the relationship between the senior citizens and the party? Were there also some tensions between them or was that a full support of the party itself? Yeah, senior citizens' relationship with the party was at first very sort of loyal relationship. Mm -hmm. So my interviewees told me that they've been voting for the party for their lifetime. So South Korea is a really interesting political system because even under authoritarianism, we had elections. There were periods we don't have elections, but we actually had elections and the party system and the election system is actually mostly built before the democratization in South Korea. So the attachment of this uh, senior citizens and the political party, the authoritarian party in the past, and then right now it's the main conservative party after democratization. This attachment is really stronger. The bond is very stronger. 
But the reason I argue that the impeachment played a really important role in making some sort of divisions and tensions between these senior citizens and the party is that actually in the party, there were some legislators, more than 60 legislators who voted for the impeachment, which revealed the division within the party. This division may create some tension between these senior citizens and the party Mm -hmm. elite. And senior citizens may think that the party is no longer representing our identity and our interest anymore. There are forces within the party who are actually going against our interest. So that's a really rough relationship. So the rough relationship and the tension actually revealed through the impeachment. It's fascinating to see how many different layers are actually to really trying to understand these particular rallies and the people who are actually participating in them. There was also something that I'm interested to know is what did these senior citizens actually hope to achieve by all going out apart from perhaps really showing that they are dissatisfied with the course of the South Korean politics, but did they have any concrete objectives? How far was it really organized as a rally with clear goals, objectives, and potential ideas for, you know, where to take South Korea from here? So actually, this rally started as a pro-government protest, but Mm -hmm. it transformed into a anti-government protest after the impeachment of Park Geun-hye and after the construction of the new government through the election. And in the anti-government protest stage, these people want to achieve democracy. And in their term, it's liberal democracy or liberty democracy. And in South Korean term, it's 자유민주주의. So they want to achieve this liberty democracy in South Korea. They view current government is not democratic at all. For your information, both Park Geun-hye administration and current administration, Moon Jae-in administration, both of them are democratic administrations, which were formed through those democratic procedures. But these senior citizens view that current government is non-democratic government, and the current leader tried to communize South Korea. So they want to achieve liberal democracy in South Korea and try to prevent communization of South Korea. That's their main argument. But superficially, it looks like they are willing to fight South Korean democracy. But my understanding about the mobilization is much deeper than that. So I argue that these forces are trying to achieve recognition or re-recognition of their identity through the participation of the movement. It's fascinating to think that you have these movements that might appear undemocratic. And as I said, we've seen it somewhere else, namely Thailand, for example. And yet the actual participants are calling for democracy. You've mentioned this liberal democracy, but what does it mean in the eyes of these senior citizens? What form of democracy is it? And is it democracy at all, really? Liberal democracy or liberty democracy for them is just merely a term that is going against communism. They do not believe that North Korea is a democracy, but they argue that North Korea also claims that they are a democracy. Mm-hmm. So we need a term that is really contradictory to this North Korea's use of democracy. And they find that in liberty. So they think that that's democracy. South Korea's democracy is different from North Korea. North Korea is a dictatorship, obviously. They also acknowledge that. And then our democracy is different from those lip service democracy mm-hmm. in North Korea, and which is 
the liberty or liberal democracy. So they highly stress this aspect of liberty democracy all the time. I interviewed a lot of senior citizens in the rally sites, and they argue that they try to protect liberty democracy. They do not use the term democracy at all. They use liberty democracy or liberal democracy all the time. Mm-hmm. So that's basically, I would say, its definition against or in po- opposition to to their perceptions of North Korea, but. Obviously, you've been saying that they perceive the current administration as not democratic or not having this form of democracy. So why is that? So they really believe that the current administration and political elites in current administration were actually communized figures. Mm-hmm. And they, in their back, there is a North Korea. So North Korea is backing this current administration and right. current political elites so that this is a communist force and this mm-hmm. is a communist government that's actually their main belief okay so the worry is that really that this is some kind of puppet government almost that's being supported by north korea somehow directed by north korea unfortunately some of them are really thinking that this is a mm-hmm. puppet government but like i would not i would i should be really careful because i i don't want to say that all of them are arguing that the current government is a puppet government i should be really careful about that but like the core argument is they somehow believe that the current government is backed by north korea mm-hmm. to some degrees yeah so now going back a little bit to the question of identity because obviously you talked about that before in relation to the authoritarian era but now we have this communism so is that part of the identity crisis and where does this threat has it been formed during the korean war or where is it coming from the strong almost based on what you say of paranoia right about some kind of infiltration of north korean forces into south korea where is it coming from South Korean authoritarianism actually was built upon the Cold War legacy because South Korea is confronting North Korea the whole time. And these past authoritarian leaders in South Korea, they claim legitimacy through this anti-communism ideology. So they highlighted the anti-communism ideology all the time. And anti-communism education is the main education in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and even afterwards. There are several dictators in South Korea. All of them used anti-communism to legitimize their rule. But the reason I'm focusing on the Park jong period is because, as I said, that is the time that these senior citizens were attending their primary and secondary schools. So there are several alternative hypotheses to whether anti-communist identity is shaped because of the Korean War or maybe in other authoritarian period in South Korea. But my interview data suggests that when I asked them what's their experience about the Korean War, they said that that was a time they were too young or they were not even born. Mm-hmm. So they don't have any particular memories about that time. So that first alternative explanation can be ruled out. In terms of the other political authoritarian leaders, they do not really endorse, some of them do not really endorse those other political leaders, but all of them really endorse Park Jong-hee. They rank Park Jong-hee as the most important present in South Korean history. That's why I think Therefore, anti-communist identity is shaped 
in the Park Jong-hee period. And Park Jong-hee is the most influential figure to them. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating because I, I mean, you know, if I was to guess, I would probably guess the Korean War rather than anything else. But this is really interesting that actually it is mm-hmm. not related to the war. And obviously, as you said, many of them wouldn't have had direct experience with that. But still, at least from my point, as somebody who is an outsider and not worked on South Korea before, it would seem that that would be like the dominant narrative that would be shaping identity. So this is super, super interesting. At the beginning, when you were talking about the rallies, you said, obviously, that there are three interesting aspects. And the third one that you mentioned was the language and the kind of sense of nostalgia. So could you maybe Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit more about that? How different was it in terms of the language they used? And was there any particular symbolism that came with the rallies? So the rally is named Taegeukgi rallies because these participants always bring the Taegeukgi, which is the name of the Korean national flag, to the rally sites. That's one of the most important characteristics of the movement. But other than that, they use very nostalgic languages, such as like the South Korea, the Republic of Korea is completely ruined and we need to create a new system things like that. So it really reminds us of Donald Trump's Make America Great Again slogan, because like Donald Trump or other populist leaders around the world use these nostalgic languages to mobilize their voters and supporters. Their main argument is that we had this greater time in the past Mm. and we had to revive our country or something like that. So this nostalgia is actually a really important factor in this mobilization. Oftentimes, it's the populist leaders who start using this language, and then you have the masses that really buy into the nostalgia narratives. Was it different in South Korea? Was it more of a bottom-up approach that the nostalgia actually came from the masses? Or did it also come from the party or even the president? So this movement is not really mobilized through the party or a political elite. It's half bottom-up, but half sort of top-down because some conservative political intellectuals or influential figures actually um, use these nostalgic languages. They are not really political elites, but they use these nostalgic languages. It's mostly happening in the society rather than Mm -hmm. like the political party or political leader using these languages to mobilize these citizens. So... I could not say this is purely merely bottom-up because there are the role of those intellectuals or influential figures, but still it's very society-based rather than Mm -hmm. like a politician mobilizing their supporters, things like that. Unfortunately, our time is almost up. I would love to be talking to you about this topic for much longer. We only have time for one last question and I'm going to sort of ask you maybe a little bit to speculate here. We've seen this kind of authoritarian tendencies of nostalgia for the authoritarian past pop up in in lots of different countries around the world, both, you know, when we look regionally at Asia, but also now in the US and in Europe and, and other places as well. So what I'm interested to really know is, is South Korea kind of heading that way as well? Like, can we expect South Korea to become more politically polarized in the next few years between these more senior citizens and let's say the younger generations? And could we also expect maybe some kind of autocratization happening in South Korea as a result of these trends and tendencies? 
So South Korea democracy is known as one of those well-performing democracies in among those third wave democracies. And I don't see any like immediate backsliding can happen in South Korea. I don't, I don't see that kind of trend, but there are still tensions and discrepancies in democratic practices in South Korea. And I think that the most important part in South Korean democracy is the legacies of the authoritarianism in political institutions and in civil societies, as my research revealed through the examination of the Taegeuki rallies. And we really need to think about how to enforce civic education among to educate these citizens, like to educate democratic citizenship. And I think that's the most important part to make South Korea further democratic. I like that we are finishing on a more optimistic note here, that it's not very, very pessimistic, because most of the time when we have these podcasts, a lot of the, the closing remarks are quite pessimistic. So let's hope that, as you said, you know, there is not <laughs> going to be any kind of backsliding happening in South Korea anytime soon, and that the importance of democracy and democratic institutions will be passed on to the population on the whole. So thank you very much for joining the podcast. This has been great to talk to you about these fascinating rallies. Thank you. Thank you, Petra, for having me. This is a really pleasant conversation. Thank you for joining the Nordic Asia podcast, showcasing Nordic collaboration in studying Asia. I'm Petra Desatova, a postdoctoral researcher at the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies at the University of Copenhagen. And I have been talking today to Myung Healy, who is a Korea Foundation and Nordic Institute of Asian Studies postdoctoral research fellow at the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies at the University of Copenhagen. Thank you. You have been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast.